Good evening. It's great to be with you here this Wednesday evening. If you have your Bibles with you this evening, if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Very simple title for you to remember this evening. The title is, for those of you that have to have titles, is Names. Names. Very simply names. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, what an opportunity we've had this evening to enter into praise and to vocalize in our hearts what we believe and think of you And all that you mean to us. And Father, as we come to your holy word tonight. It's not a literary novel. It is your word. God breathed. God inspired. With that air. And you seek to communicate to us tonight. Through your Holy Spirit. In Christ truths that will forever change us as we leave this place. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified tonight. Where conviction is needed, Holy Spirit, let there be conviction. Where comfort is needed, let there be comfort. And where praise, let there be praise. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 2017, and we would come to the Ormond Beach area at least twice a year for vacation. We just happened to be here uh, in the Ormond Beach area in 2017. And as a pastor, being being on vacation, we were deciding about where we would go to church. And so we began searching the websites, and we came across Riverbend. And we begin to read your doctrinal statements, and we begin to say, I want to visit there. I want to visit that church. So Gail and I came that Sunday morning back in 2017, and I believe we sat in the back. She always wants to sit in the front. And uh, I, I just, anyway, we sat in the back, and, and it was Hayward was leading in praise worship. You may have seen us back in 2017, but I, I, couldn't stop, I couldn't stop weeping. Every time we would sing a, a praise chorus, the theology that was, beyond, that was behind that was unbelievable. I wasn't used to that kind of theology and music, even though I felt it in my heart and wanted it to be in my former church. We came back in 2018 and 2019, and well, in God's providence, he brought us here. But before this began, I had to learn Hayward's name. I called him Haywood. 
And he was so gracious, he probably said, oh, that old man, he doesn't, he can't remember. And it, it took me a while. And finally, my sweet wife said, it's hey word. Because <laughs> you see, as a pastor, you're not supposed to forget people's names. I will tell you a trick here, though. If you know someone and you haven't seen them in a while, but they know that you know them and you forgot their name, you can say, how do you spell that? B-O-B. <laughs> so, I, 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 so please forgive me. We're learning names. I'm learning names. I'm learning names. But we come to chapter 16 that is full of names. Many of you may look at these names and see them as insignificant. One author said there may be as insignificant as that penny that's laying on the pavement that you won't even bother to pick up. But why would Paul write in a chapter in which there are so many names to be mentioned on a manuscript that will be delivered across the Adriatic into Rome. Why would he write in such a way as he's closing names? Names. Now, let's be honest. If you're reading your Bible through, I'm sure you use the popular semi-skip method. Are you familiar with that Bible reading method? Yes, you are. Some of you are laughing. The semi-skip method. But I want to challenge you here this evening in this time that I have. And by the way, what time do I end? 7.30? Okay, I'll, um, my watch isn't working, so when 7.30 you just wave your hand. I'll know that it's time to quit. <laughs> These names that we have before us are part of the Word of God. Why do we think that when the prophets begin to name names that we think that's not inspired? Why is it then when we come to names, we think, oh, they're out of inspiration mode and now they're writing out of memory or out of feeling? No. No. 2 Timothy 3.16, and most of you know from memory what that means. That all scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable instructing us in teaching what is true. It is profitable for reproof to help us realize what is wrong in our Christian lives. It is profitable for correction, to correct us when we are wrong, it is profitable to instruct us in righteousness to help us to do what is right. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. These names are inspired by the word of God. When Paul wrote these names, 
They're there for instruction, for reproof, for encouragement. So when you look at a name in the Bible, don't use the semi-skip method. If you can find out something about that name, look into it. It's there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. Because God cares about each and every name that is in this word as he cares about your name. Imagine before the foundation of the world. In the Lamb's book of life, before a single thing was created, your name was put in the Lamb's book of life. Names. Names. There are Eastern names, Western names, Jewish names, Latin names, Greek names, men and women, slaves, poor, some rich, but they each have a name and they each have a purpose. A purpose. They are men and women redeemed by Jesus Christ. So, Romans 16, let us begin. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a matter worthy of the saints. A sister in whatever business she has need of, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Paul is commending Phoebe. Bible scholars tell us she was a businessman, a businesswoman. Pardon me. She is going to Rome to do business. She is wealthy. She has a house church located just a few miles, uh, about seven to nine miles from Corinth at Sincrea. Very soon she will take the manuscript that will be completed, these 16 chapters of Romans, and she will take that manuscript with her and she will cross land. She'll get on a boat, she'll cross the Adriatic Sea and she will show up in Rome. MacArthur, John MacArthur was talking about the history behind Phoebe probably being the one to deliver the manuscript to the leaders at Rome. Can you imagine? They couldn't contact Federal Express. Paul couldn't send it by Pony Express. Paul, as a Roman citizen, could not even use the imperial couriers. He had to depend on those people. And so here is Phoebe. Some say she's headed to Rome to do business and she has the manuscript to be delivered to the leaders at Rome. Now notice in verse 1 it says, I commend Phoebe. 
The word command carries it with the idea of placing someone beside you. Paul is saying that this lady, this woman, is so trustworthy in the Lord. She is such a servant. She is such a hard worker. I place her right by me, and I say, I commend Phoebe. Can you imagine getting a commendation from the Apostle Paul? He says, I commend Phoebe. I commend her. You a sister. You a sister. Receive her in the Lord as a matter worthy of the saints. Show her respect. Why? She has been a helper of many and myself. Notice in verse 1, a sister, a servant, a helper of many. How would you like your name to have that put behind it? A sister. A sister in the Lord. A sister. Now, this was not Paul's physical sister. He called Phoebe his sister. How could Phoebe be her his sister, because she was in the Lord. In the Lord. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We live together in God's divine household. Someone has said we have been birthed from the same spiritual womb. Now think about that. If we have been born again then those that sit beside us are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So she was a sister. She was devoted to the church. And not only was she devoted to the church, she was a servant. A servant. There's a history to this word. And if you go back and look in its earliest definition, it means one who labors in the dust. One who cares for the needs of believers. She is a servant of the church. She is a servant of Paul. And she is a servant of the king, King Jesus. A servant. But she's also a helper. A helper. Now when we go through chapter 16 in just these few verses, you're going to see various words that Paul uses to describe these individuals and what they meant to him. So he describes, dear Phoebe, I commend her to you. She's, a, she's my sister in Christ. He makes it personal. She has a name. Think about this, Riverbend. Those that, that sit next to us have a name. There are brothers, there are sisters that make up the body and the bride of Christ. You're not some impersonal person. Phoebe was not some impersonal person. She was 
a sister in Christ to Paul. And she was a servant and a helper of many. Now, throughout this chapter, you're going to see the word labor, co-worker, helper. But this word helper carries with it a very interesting definition. She was a, a patroness. She had money. She was a patroness. She was a wealthy person. And a patroness is a wealthy person who encourages and financially supports organizations or cause, oftentimes used in the arts. She used her wealth for the caring of the affairs of others and aiding them with her resources. Wow. A helper of many. She didn't sit on her wealth. She didn't sit on her resources. She used those resources. She used that wealth to minister and to help Paul, a helper of many and of Paul. Can you imagine that? And what's even more incredible, her name is in this eternal book. Her name is in this eternal book. A disturbing trend is occurring in the churches across our country. And I am so thankful that I don't see that trend here at Riverbend. I see people wanting to serve. But we have become a service-oriented society. We ask, well, how can you serve me? Elizabeth Barrett Browning in 1850 wrote this famous sonnet. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. But in the American church today, I think we need to, to change that. How do we love me? Let me count the ways. Let me count the ways. The trend that we see happening in American churches today is that we've become a religious super Walmart. Instead of looking at a church that preaches and teaches the word of God, how can I serve the Lord in a church and use my gifts? We come with our checklist to see if it meets the checklist for what our needs are. That's not what Paul did. And that's not what those who he, he names in this chapter. A servant and a helper of many. Then he goes on in verse 3. Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Oh, Priscilla and Aquila, you can read about them throughout the New Testament. 
You say, well, how did they get around? Well, they did not stay in one place. They traveled all over the area, Aquila and Priscilla. They were in Rome. Then they were in Corinth. Then they were in Ephesus. Now they're back in Rome. They lived all over the Roman Empire. They were Paul's fellow workers, notice, in Christ. If you're serving Christ tonight, you are a fellow worker, co-laborers. It is where we get the word synergy from. It is defined as that interaction or working together of two or more agents or forces that produce a combined effect. They were in unity. Let me encourage you, Riverbend. That the more that River Bend becomes unified in Christ, the more God can use us for the kingdom. Fellow workers, fellow workers. But notice something about them it says, They risked their own necks for my life. Risked their own necks. This carries the idea that they literally put their necks on the executioner chopping block. The guillotine or whatever they would use, the axe or the hatchet, they risked their lives. They risked their lives. And here is Paul. He is using... So many people in the interpersonal relationships. Have you ever stopped to think of all the differing interpersonal relationships that Paul was a part of? Priscilla, Aquila. Look, verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They had a church in their house. This was a couple that was on fire for the Lord, that was sold out to Christ. This past Sunday evening at Pastor's House, we had a meeting about establishing community groups on Sunday nights on the Palm Coast area in the Flagler area because there's, there's not a real strong presence of a community group that's doctrinally sound. And so here we read of Priscilla and Aquila having a church in their house and, and the churches meeting in homes because there was no established building as we knew it in second, third century. Verse 5 says, Greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia, who was this gentleman? He was one of Paul's first converts in Asia Minor. Verse 6, greet Mary who labored much for us. Labored. Labored. It means to work hard to exhaustion. So you have Phoebe, a servant and a helper of many. You have Mary who has literally worked in the Lord, toiling in the Lord to almost sheer exhaustion. 
She worked hard. It is interesting that Paul noted that. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. My fellow prisoners. Cellmates. You see, the apostle Paul, as we know, was in prison a lot. 2 Corinthians 11.23 tells us. They somehow shared an imprisonment. There they were. Can you imagine in prison? Some believe this is a, a husband and wife. And there's the apostle and you're all locked up in the same prison. Imagine for a minute, they, Paul is talking to them and that connection, and who knows, they all might have been in the same cell block. We don't know. But what's interesting is if you look at verse 7, I want you to pay close attention of how detailed the Word of God is. He says, Greet Andronicus and Judea, my countrymen, and fellow prisoners. So they met in prison however, who are a note of among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. What is Paul saying here? He is saying that Andronicus here and Junia were believers before Paul became a believer. And it says, so much so, that they had a reputation among the apostles. Pay attention to that word note. Circle it in your Bibles. Paul is inspired by the word of God. He has it there for a reason and a purpose. He wants to tell you something about this couple. He says, if you notice here, he says who are of note among the apostles. The word note here means outstanding or to have a mark upon. It is used to describe a coin that has been stamped. And the idea is used here in a figuratively sense is that they are well thought of. They have an outstanding reputation. They are distinguished. They have an excellent reputation. Wow. Read Amplius, my beloved. Oh, I love this. My beloved. Dearly loved one. You can see Paul. Gushing forth with his love and compassion for these names that helped him and meant so much to him in ministry. Someone has said that you can measure your love for God by your love for others. Paul loved people. He loved them. 
So much so that inspired by the Spirit of God, their names were pinned here for our instruction, our correction, our reproof, and for our instruction in righteousness. Verse 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and Stachus, my beloved. Our fellow worker, our co-worker, our co-laborer, working together, working hard, ministering and serving the Lord. Verse 10, we meet Apelles. He says, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Someone has said, how would you like to have that put on your tombstone? Your name approved in Christ. Now, why would Paul use descriptive nouns and adjectives and words to describe these people? Because that's what they were in their life when they ministered. Approved. Approved. It means the one that has been tested. One that is reliable. One that is acceptable. Wow. Can you imagine having that said about you and me? Oh, they're approved. You can count on them. They're reliable. They're acceptable. They love the Lord and they, they work and they toil and they labor in the field. Wow. Verse 10 tells us that, that they're to greet, or verse 9, or 10, greet a palace, approve, greet those who are the household of Aristobulus. They believe that those in the household of Aristobulus were slaves. Greet a Rodian, my countrymen, greet those who are in the household of Narcissus who are in, in the Lord, in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Who have labored in the Lord. Now who are these two women? Well if you look at their names. It means uh, dainty and delicate. You want to know something? They were not dainty and delicate. <laughs> yes. They worked hard. They've labored. It means to labor with fatigue. It is used in secular Greek of being beaten. Very descriptive. Weariness as though one had been beaten. It is the word for physical tiredness induced by work or exertion or heat. It means to exhibit great effort. It means to exert effort to the point of sweat and exhaustion. These two women weren't dainty and delicate. <laughs> but you know... Um, how that Paul is. He hates women. That misogynist. No. He recognized women in their role. And they served the Lord Jesus in their role. And here they are. In Romans 16. 
He goes on to say in verse 12, greet my beloved Persis. This is thought to have been a female believer from Persia. Wow. She labored. The same word that is used for Tryphena and Tryphosa. Labored, hard, exhausting, sweat-bearing work for the Lord. For the Lord in Christ. In Christ. We need to be reminded of that. That all that we do here in Riverbend to serve is it's in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. Verse 13 says, Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother in mine. Oh my goodness. Reading through the, the Bible commentaries and dictionaries, they all land in this one place. And so I feel comfortable landing here with Rufus. As you look at Matthew or Mark 15, verse 21, you don't have to go there. That's your homework for tonight. And Jesus is headed out to Golgotha. And there is a gentleman named Simon of Cyrene from Libya who's come to celebrate the Passover. And there, Simon the Cyrene is there gathered to where the crowd was. And what do we have? We have Jesus carrying his cross when he was compelled by the Roman soldier. You carry his cross. You carry his cross. Can you imagine He's there for the Passover and he's going to carry the cross of an unknown condemned man to Golgotha. History, Bible history tells us he had a wife and two children. And it's interesting because Mark's gospel mentions his wife and two children, Alexander and Rufus. A conversion took place. His family at some time was converted. History tell us, tells us that Alexander was martyred. They, the family became a believer. And he says here, Rufus's mother. And Alexander's mother and Simon's wife was like a mother to Paul. Oh, my goodness. Listen to what one commentator said, and I quote... Here's a man gripped by what he thought was chance. But reality by the sovereign determination of a God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Who in God's wonderful determining distinguishing grace laid his hand upon Simon and he was converted. His wife was converted. His children were converted. And here is Rufus, a living, breathing Example of the providence and sovereignty of God. Riverbend, God is doing a work here. You may not see it, but He is. He is moving through lives in Christ. 
He's directing us in our life paths to here. He is bringing believers together, all types, with all different names. And he's bringing them here. He's bringing them here from Tennessee. He's bringing them here from Kansas. He's bringing them here from New York. And yes, even California. <laughs> In Florida. Think about that for a moment. Are you not in awe of all these different people and backgrounds and names? How God providentially orchestrated and worked in their life and brought them together to serve the King Jesus together. Wow. Amen? You can say amen. It's okay. <laughs> Verse 14, a syncretous flagon. We don't know much about some of these names, ordinary people. Verse 15, I think every church has a philologus. You know what the word philologus means? A lover of words. <laughs> Those of you who are laughing know who that might be. <laughs> wow. Julia, Nerus, his sister, Olympus, and all the saints. The saints. It's what you are. You're the called out ones. You're the consecrated ones. You're the holy ones. When you were regenerated, when you were justified, when you were initially sanctified, God set you apart as holy to be consecrated, to be used by him. Greet these. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I think pastor took care of that Sunday. <laughs> kiss on the cheek, a hug. I remember in Russia when we served there for a year, I had a real problem with this because they took it literally and they would try to kiss you. <laughs> so we did the, we, we learned the pastoral handshake where you would grip the hand and put their hand on the shoulder and say, yes, brother, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> but it was in term of endearment and love. Paul loved these people. He loved them. He loved them. But now this takes a turn. And I want to use these last few minutes for introspection for who we are at Riverbend. And I want you to think and look at the scriptures very clearly because they are very clear. You may think that Paul is a name dropper. But he is not a name dropper as we in our society think of people who drop names so that you will be impressed. When Paul drops a name, it's because it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it is there to teach us something, to guide us, to correct us, and Riverbend to encourage us. And seemingly through this chapter, 
it takes an immediate right turn. He says in verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, urge. This is a very strong word. It's a pleading. He's saying, I urge you, brethren. He's telling the church at Rome, I urge you. I plead with you. Well, what is it, Paul? You've just completed this incredible list of names and all of these people who ministered to you and to the Lord. And now it seems like you've taken a shift here. What are you doing? Well, let's see. Note those who cause divisions contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. You're to note them. Why don't you circle that word note? It is where we get the noun form, telescope, and microscope. It means to scope them out. It means as a present active that you're to be continually scoping out, looking at. Well, what is it? Paul, what is it? Those who cause divisions. Those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines which they have learned. Now, I want you to look at this word cause because it carries it with it to create a path. There are individuals that are creating a path within the life of the church. And Paul is warning them. They're creating a path and they seek to cause a division. And the word division is they seek to cause two groups to be in one place. That's pretty serious, folks. Do you know of anybody that's seeking to do that? This is serious to God. He says, note those. Not only those who create a path that seek to have two groups within the life of the church. He goes on to say, and offenses. The word for offenses is where we get the word scandal or scandal on. It speaks of a wood stick that is there and there's the bait and there's the trap. Scandal on. To set a trap. And how do they set a trap? They set a trap by their smooth words and flattering speech. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? They're hungry? No. 
is they are in the flesh. They want to gratify the flesh. They seek power. They seek pride. They seek people. They seek following. And the smooth words are they ingratiate you. May even send you a text. I'm praying for you. There are those that do not seek the welfare of the church. They seek for themselves position and power. And Paul says you are to note them. Note them. The Greek here literally has dissension and scandal and they both have the definite article. And so it's speaking to a specific group. John Calvin said this. He says, quote, men are distracted from the unity of the truth when the truth of God is destroyed by doctrines of human invention. And those who cause offenses contrary to the doctrine, you're to avoid them. You're to avoid them. And we look at Paul and we look at his life and we think, okay, Paul, these names are here for our instruction. They're here for our learning. They're here to teach us about perseverance. So when you read about the name Job, you can learn about perseverance. When you read about the name Balaam, you can read about idolatry and sexual immorality. But why does Paul put names in the Bible of those who hurt him? Have you noticed that? Oh, he's out of inspiration mode now. He's just getting even with them, right? No. I'm just going to get even with all those people that did me wrong. I'm out of inspiration. No. They're there for a reason. The apostle named names for a reason. He named names in Romans 16 to what we've read to encourage us. But he also named names to warn us and the church. He says in 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas has forsaken me. How would you like to be Demas? Forever recorded in God's word that you forsook God and the apostle because you fell in love with the world. Well, Paul, you just are upset because you lost an assistant. No, he wants you to know, don't love the world. If you love the world, you're not a friend of God. Here's one of my favorites. This came from the apostle John. He says in 3 John 1, 9, he tells us about a guy named Diophrophes. You know about him? Oh, this is really good. Listen to this. I wrote to the church, but Diophrophes, who loves to have preeminence. Do you know what that word means? 
that this man desires to be first. He is ambitious for distinction. Wow. Watch out for those who are desired to be first. They want distinction. They want recognition. They're not getting the accolades. No. We need to be servants. Alexander the coppersmith in 2 Timothy 4.14 did me much harm. May the Lord repay him to according to his works. You must beware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. He wants to tell you that there is opposition and always will be to the gospel. And they deceive. Notice here the hearts of the simple. Now I know many of you have opened up your emails or gotten a text that says, click here, you've won $1,000. Or would you please contact Mrs. So-and-so in Africa and send some money? We've got all this money coming to you. And I dare say in this group that there are those who are intelligent enough to know not to fall for a scam. But I wonder if we may at times be Simple. We know not to click on clickbait. We know not to answer that scam. But do we know the word of God so well that we know when we're being scammed by those who claim to be a teacher? I wish I had a nickel for every of my former members who came to me and say. Oh, I'm listening to T.G. Jakes. I'm listening to Joyce Meyer. I'm listening to this. And it's like, I have been preaching to you for years. Do you not know your Bible? They have smooth and flattering words. He says, mark them, note them. So here is the application and I'll close. We have the privilege and the honor of serving the king. We need to be reminded of that. Yes, we are serving the Lord Jesus. But do you realize that he is the king, capital K, the king, capital K, of the small K kings. He is king of kings and he is lord of lords. And he is to be worshipped. And he is to be held in reverence and awe. And we serve him with love because we love him. Because the king went to the cross. We need to be reminded that we're serving the king. We're serving the king. We have a privilege and the honor to serve the king. And I think about just in the few months that I've been here and notice all of these people that are serving here. There's a, there's a man named Jeff. He's probably not here. I see him. He's vacuuming. He's always running around working. You know, he's serving the king. Then there's, Hayward, then there's Troy. You know, he got 
everything for me here. He's, he's running around. And he's serving the king. There are those in the audiovisual and, and do all those things that you and I will never see and their name may never be written about, but they're serving the king. They're serving the king. Have you ever stopped for a moment when we leave here and we see those young men stacking the chairs? These young men stacking the chairs. Well, they're just like a penny on the ground. Don't bother. You want to bet? They're serving the king. They're serving the king. I think about those who labor in the nursery and the child care. And as a former pastor, I will always worship nursery and child care people. <laughs> they are to be highly esteemed. <laughs> and I think about those children who are being kept on Sunday evening so our 25 men and these 25 ladies can study God's word, serving the king. <laughs> Those who have pulled weeds, those who have worked in security, those who work in the church office, those who visit in the hospital, those who help the shut-ins or give rise to those who can't drive, those who labor in warm, those who labor in the kitchen. Serving the king. My wife and I were coming to a BFG a couple weeks ago and there was this sweet older lady, I don't know her name, and she was leading a trail of children and they had colored dots on their face. And they were going, unclean, unclean. <laughs> it was so cute. It was so cute. Oh, she's teaching those children about leprosy and about sin, laboring you won't know her name. You may never know who it is. She never may be written up in any newspaper, but she is serving the king. A servant, a helper, a toiler, a laborer, a beloved, a fellow inmate, one who's willing to risk their necks in one note or another, reputation, have a greater reputation. Saints, brethren, sisters, ordinary people are serving the king, but their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, serving the king. I close with this introspection. I think as a pastor, we need to go back to letters of commendation. That's just my opinion. I think if a person moves on to another church, they need to have with them a letter from the pastor of the church where they were. That's just my belief. I mean, here it is. A letter of commendation. Why? If the Apostle Paul were writing about us what would he say about our name? What would an elder say about our name? How 
Will our name be used by our elder? Oh, they were a helper of many and Pastor Scott himself. They were a helper of many and Pastor Jerry himself. They were a, ha a helper of many of Pastor Bobby himself. They were a helper of many and Pastor Brian himself. They were a helper of many and Pastor Aaron himself. They were a helper of many and Pastor Joshua himself. They were a helper of many and of Pastor Rick himself. They were a helper of many and Pastor Gary himself. They were a helper of many and of Pastor Jason himself. Would that be said about us? Would our elders say that about us? That they are workers and toilers and they serve Jesus and they love him. Oh, Riverbend, I want to encourage you tonight. The king, the king knows what you're doing. Amen. He knows. And all of us want to hear that day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you bow with me for a moment? You may be here this evening, and you're like this Mary, you're like this Tryphena, you're like this Tryphosa. You're laboring, and you're working, and it seems like no one really notices. I want to encourage you tonight that King Jesus notices, and you are serving him when you serve the church. And you may be here tonight and you, you're wondering, what does God want me to do in the life of Riverbend? Oh, there are so many opportunities for us to become involved to serve the king here. Pray about what that might be. The list is endless of how you might labor, how you might toil, how you might be a co-worker together with someone for the king as we serve Christ together here. And you may be here this, this evening and you may be one that Paul is speaking to that is seeking to cause division. I plead with you tonight. I ask you to repent because Christ is the king. The church is the bride. And perhaps here this evening, there's someone that needs to repent. Someone needs to be broken. Someone needs to come to the cross where the king has died and was raised and bowed the knee. Father, I lift Riverbend to you and I pray for Pastor Scott. I pray for the elders that are here. I pray, Father, that as you anoint them, Father, that you would make them strong and strengthen them 
And as they continue to preach and teach and minister the word of God, knowing that there will be Alexanders, the coppersmiths, knowing there will be the Diopathies, knowing there will be the Demases, but also knowing there will be the Phoebes and the Marys and the Persis. And there'll be the Tryphena and the Tryphona. There'll be those that will minister and serve God with their whole heart. Thank you, Lord, for our time together tonight. May we go serve you as our king. In Jesus' name I pray.